Hi gardeners, it's time to get ready for the Gardening Show's annual Radiothon extravaganza. It all takes place Sunday the 25th of June, 7.30 to 10, when you can help your favourite gardening show grow. Stay tuned and call in on 03 9419 for great deals on organic products, gardening tools, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions and new green-focused book titles. Or make a tax-deductible donation today and support The Gardening Show by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Dig deep for the 2023 3CR Gardening Radiothon Show. 7.30 to 10, Sunday the 25th of June. We need your support to keep great gardening radio on the airwaves. I love trees with all their lovely leaves Lifting up their branches to the sky Far, you are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show on another delightful Sunday morning in June. I'm Chloe Foster and I'm very pleased to have two wonderful people in the studio with me today. Tim, Tim Sansom, CEO of the Diggers Club and Evan Golke of Ochre Landscape. Welcome guys. Good morning Chloe. Good, Good morning, morning gardeners. Chloe. Yeah, we were you, you were out with your torches getting those flowers this morning, Evan. No, no, last night. Actually, oh, last I was night. so prepared. I did it last night. I'm in impressed. The dark. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I went out into my garden last night in the dark too to get something to uh, bring in to chat about, but it was a little bit heavier than those flowers that you've brought in. But that's okay. Heavy topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a heavy topic. It's, like you said, Tim, it's, it's very dark at the moment. Well, it's, 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 well, it's the shortest day next yeah, Wednesday, yeah. midwinter's day. We're coming okay. up to so the This is our midwinter yeah. show. Yeah, it is. Well, there's Solstice lots of, show. There's lots of yeah. things happening in the garden. You know, it's actually mm. a really, really lovely time in the garden. You can do so much. Well, I think, yes, well, often the, we kick this off by talking about what's happening in the garden, what's happening in the weather and mm. stuff like that. Yesterday was a great day. It was a yeah. warm day. I actually sat in the backyard yesterday in the sun. <laughs> And just yeah. sort of, you know, just observed a few things going on. And like you say, winter's still stuff going on for sure. Yeah. Big northerly. 
Yeah, yeah it was windy. Really, hey? it was one of those days that trees fall over at our place. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't. But You're okay. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it is one of those days. <laughs> Made it out the drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But um, yeah, I, I did a bit of planting in the veggie garden yesterday because you know because it is it's just so warm. Yeah, mm. and it, it just hasn't been so wet as well. Mm. It's, it's, I mean, it was wet leading up to this last sort of four weeks, but it the. Sometimes when it gets cold and it's wet, then mm. things really stop. Mm. But because it's kind of drier and warm, well, that's what's coming apparently too. I mean, the, mm. you know, the forecasts are a drier spring. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so water levels are pretty good, right? Like dam levels and our, yeah. mm. our, our dams at, at work, and so maybe that makes for a good spring. I'm I'm optimistic. Well, I'm always does, on the half glass full side of it, it things. It does make for a good spring as long as you've got water. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you just get really great growth. I mean, that's one of the one of the difficult things in the nursery industry in the last three years is actually getting plants up and going yeah. enough to bring them to market. Yes, particularly trees. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of stuff just has not performed. In, no. And well, last year we think about spring. Kind of didn't happen until really late, so mm. trying to grow stuff at this time of the year into the winter was mm. really du- difficult in production mm. nurseries. Yeah, so in tree nurseries, you'd you'd often get material coming through sort of late November that had been potted up, mm. you know, perhaps in in autumn or or through the winter. Um, but for the last few years, and that was, stuff's sorry, been coming in January, as, and it wasn't as established. Yeah. That's as right. what it should have been. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The demand is really high at the moment too, particularly in the last couple of years. Yeah, well, a lot of infrastructure projects. Yeah, like I mean, for us, you know, there's, there's like eight schools being built a year. Yeah, yeah, some ridiculous number. You, you don't realise how many, mm. but squillions are being built. Yeah, yeah. So and kinders as well. You know. Well, that's great that they've got gardens embedded in those in those places. That's that's really important. Is they've just done a bit. I'm not sure if you've been involved, but they've just done one around the corner from me in Dramana, and and I've just no, they've done a, a like a new um, uh, like assembly hall or something. Mm. But the landscaping around it and the planting around it is really impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know that's not like in the old days where no. we just finish up and stick some <laughs> stick some turf down. Yeah, no, it's definitely a focus for the Victorian School Building Authority. Mm. It's definitely a focus. It's ch- it changed in about I would say about 2018 mm. when some schools were built that budgets got really slashed and and the first thing to go of course is the mm. landscape and so um, you know. People went out to open the school and they needed a green screen to stand in front of to to, to show <laughs> to put trees. Yeah, I mean, I'm only being facetious, but you know, the fact was there weren't many trees no. and there weren't many plants. And I think I think that's when it turned, and mm. uh, and it's just been fantastic since mm. then that that it's really encouraged mm. in kinders as well. Mm. You know? And you just can't have enough trees. Mm. In these not. places, um, yeah. plus there's all the infrastructure projects that are going on. You know, like all the um, level crossings that end up with mm. car parks, that end up with trees. You know, so demand is massive, it's really and growing has been slow. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I'm sure they're all looking forward to you know really warm, <laughs> warm weather. Spring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We took some students down to a few nurseries on the Mornington Peninsula recently, and we we do that trip, uh, you know, quite a few times a year with different groups because there's so many nurseries, there's so mm. much horticulture and viticulture <laughs> happening down <laughs> on the peninsula. Yeah, there is. Um, but yeah, the so the nurseries just can't keep up with demand. And we, one mm. of the ones that we went to was Australian Ecosystems oh, that yeah. do the big numbers for a lot of those big infrastructure projects. Yes, and I used to work there. Did you? Yes. Oh right. <laughs> what were you doing there? 
Oh, I ran the nursery there. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had the, the yeah. current nursery manager showing us around. Yeah. So it was – It's a great site. Like the, and, uh, yeah, it was a different kind of growing for me because mm. it was a lot of stuff for wetland and re-veg. Mm. re-veg. Yeah. I mean, they, they started off as a – was basically doing a lot of wetland restoration. Yeah. So a lot of these little Shenoplectus and Bulbashinus, all these sort of – Reedy looking uh, mm. wetland plants, which all to me look the same, but, <laughs> but they're not, and they're kind of, they have critical roles to play in wetland <laughs> yeah. establishment. Yeah, yeah. But a, but a scale of production of um, of indigenous plants, in industrial scale, which yeah. which is what you're saying. It's like these big big urban developments, um, big uh, infrastructure projects mm. that need um, that that need a that need a green element. They need, and a lot of the work that Australian ecosystems is doing does and do, and did then was in uh, in roadside or freeway plantings, but also when there's um, in in either in either industrial or um, housing developments, there are requirements under the water sensitive urban design framework for water to be captured and held and treated within within that mm. catchment rather than just shooting out into drains and into the bay. Mm. So these constructed wetlands, which are amazing oh, systems, they're incredible. Mm. And, and you know, you, we, I mean, the amount of work that goes into planting those and getting them established, but they really quickly establish into something that's really ecologically valuable mm. uh, and cleans up water and creates amenity for those people who live there. It's That's really interesting work. Yeah, yeah I've been wondering about that because it, through Casey and Cardinia, the sort of Cardinia Creek system, which ends up in Western Port Bay, I've been looking at – I mean, they've done amazing work right through there following that system and planting mm. it through the new housing developments – and one of the things about losing uh, seagrass in Western Port Bay is about, you know, the fact that there's been a lot of clearing of swamps and, you know, all Kui Rap, all mm. of that, because there's three rivers that come into Western Port, mm-hmm. um, and the nutrient levels and all of those things. So I wonder whether housing is actually going to be better mm. <laughs> for, for Western Port Bay than the farms right. that well, have been there because, because they are building every – all of these areas mm. are getting and uh, wetlands and and planted out areas mm. that ecologically are fa- you know fabulous. Well, I think that was the shift that happened. It was probably twenty or thirty years ago when when Port Phillip Bay was getting really polluted, and Melbourne Water went hard on 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 these these regulations around mm. how water discharges into the creeks and streams, and you had to have these upstream wetlands that are these sponges, and that's what's happening with these urban developments. Mm. Yeah, I reckon housing is better only because they're forced to have these wetlands, these mm. perched wetlands that actually treat the water at the source. So you're not getting you're mm. not getting these you know dog poo runoffs at all, mm. just urban runoff straight through a, a concrete drain into the into the bay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the west as well, um, you know, creeks and so on that are running into the Werribee River, they, they're having the same treatment. Mm. So we're having a school built out there at the moment, a huge school. It's going to have like 2,000 kids. It's like a city, city block. It's got to be the biggest school I've ever been involved Jesus. with. But opposite that, it's a huge median strip. It's probably 50 metres wide mm. and it's completely planted and that's obviously where all the stormwater runoff is mm. going for all of those developments along there. And that water ends up in the Werribee River. Mm. So they're, they're looking after all of those, mm. all of those things. So, and it, it's fabulous. It's bringing wildlife into, mm. into the, the city as well because it's producing corridors mm. which haven't been there in the past. There's a, a new um, industry network that's just started up called the Australia, Australasian Green Infrastructure Network. 
that you know bringing together people from all all these disciplines that are involved in these sorts of projects so whether it is stormwater harvesting or wetland development in properties floating wetlands as well to mitigate nutrient runoff and pollution mm. runoff into natural systems like it's becoming an industry in itself now well, a really good it's industry fantastic. it's a good thing to mm. have it's i mean it is. We're, it's this whole kind of sponge city concept mm. that that i mean i think it flipped thinking you know, i think water water engineering design of 50 years ago was get the water away as quick as you can concrete <laughs> yeah, drains yeah. just just go Whereas now it's all held up at the top of the, the system. Well, that's, mm. that's the intention, which is what ecologies do. It's what soil does in the yeah. top of catchments. What a forest does. It's what. Mm. And if and 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 I, I'm really encouraged that there's a thinking too around gardens as well, personal gardens, whether it be private gardens or or school gardens or or, or even um, industry like in, industry mm. or where you can actually have a garden system or a, or a sponge system that holds water at the top of the catchment, mm. then it can slowly disperse and clean and we can u- utilise that resource like an ecosystem would. And, mm. and let it soak into where it falls. Mm. Like I, I did a hydrogeology subject at uni and we need our groundwater mm. systems to be replenished. Now, it takes a long time for that water to get through, but it's something that's always just sat in the back of my mind. Like stormwater drainage all just like running out to the one place mm-hmm. and it not being able to soak into the mm. area where it's fallen, which means that the groundwater is not being replenished. And mm. we do heavily rely on our groundwater yeah. in Australia. Mm. So if, and from that perspective, these projects are really exciting. Mm. And yeah. even, even for gardeners to have, have, I mean, you know, water tanks became a thing through the millennial drought. We've got mm. El Nino coming again. Water tanks have come back yeah. again. But that's holding, that's runoff off your roof. You're holding it in your own garden, in your own space. You can then utilise that. It's not, it's a resource. Mm. You know, you're, you're capturing a resource at its source. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then storing it in soil. That's, you know, for, mm. for us gardeners, it's where we want it. Yeah. And councils have been proactive in this as well for residential um, planning in mm. that you've got to have X amount percentage of the landscape has to mm. be permeable. Mm. Yeah, that never used to be a thing. Mm. It's concrete, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get it gone. But, yeah, that's gone. You know, even, you know, driveways end up being done in permeable concretes and this sort of thing. And so, you know, the rules get made and then p- smart people develop mm. products that mm. do the job, mm. uh, you know, and, and that that's helping as well. Mm. Mm. All right, we're going to continue this conversation in a moment, but I will get to a couple of community announcements. Um, we've had an email come in from the Heritage Fruits, Fruit, Heritage Fruits Society. They're a volunteer group um, that spend their time preserving heritage varieties of um, popular fruit trees. Now, they're running a couple of uh, workshops at they run grafting days at Petty's Orchard in Templestowe, uh, but they're also running a couple of workshops at Ceres in Brunswick as well. So the grafting days at Petty's Orchard and Ceres will be run in the first weekend of August. If you want to find out more information about that, you can go to their website and it's Heritage Fruits Society, and that's fruits with an S on the end, plural, heritagefruitssociety.org forward slash grafting days and we might try to get some more information from fred uh, down the track about that Um, but as tim would know with diggers growing your own food is a becoming a very big thing even more so these days 
years back, Paddy's Paddy's Orchard has it's always been well, not, yeah, always, but it's it's um, been a great source of inspiration and source material of of yeah, right. um, heritage fruits. Yeah, we've uh, I've been associated for years back with with the Paddy's Orchard crew. And there's some really, really interesting stuff there, and and it's preserved. You know, it's an area that's that's was a lot more uh, productive. A lot mm. it was it was a, an orchard zone. I mean, it's what is it? Our park orchards or somewhere around there? Temple Stowe, Temple Stowe, yeah. Which all would have been orchards, and all would have been. And it's this is kind of little remnant. Yeah, of, it's a patch. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And those trees have been there for a long time, yeah. and and quite well managed. There's some interesting pruning systems. Mm. A great collection. Yeah, well worth visiting Petty's Orchard. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll try to get some more um, information off Fred. Uh, now, I'm going to play a community announcement for a new show that's coming on to 3CR and joining the um, gardening plants science shows that there is a few of us. So I've just got a little um, sting to play. Here we go. You are what you eat. And you are. Local Food Connections interviews with food producers, backyard growers and urban farmers. Please join us Sunday, June 25th at 10am on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial, on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Local Food Connections, a show about the importance of local food in sustainable communities. There we go. So starting wow, next, great. yeah, next so Sunday at ten o'clock, show, a regular show, yeah, wow. um, mid morning on a Sunday, so they get to have a sleep in. Um, <laughs> half hour show, really focusing on growing food locally. So um, agriculture, urban farming, indigenous food knowledge, foraging, edible weeds, permaculture, all those sorts of things. Anything related to growing food, they're going to be cho- they're going to be talking about. Uh, which will be a nice little bookend after mm. the gardening show. So right. you can listen to us, go have some brekkie and then come back to 3CR <laughs> and keep going. There are some other, for people that, that might not be aware, there are some other environment, garden-related or plant-related uh, programs on 3CR. And I'm just going to name them. If you're looking for them, if you're looking for the time that they're on, jump onto the 3CR website uh, and have a look, or you can just... Uh, search them on your favourite podcast app and you can listen to the podcast whenever you want. So there's Dirt Radio, which is hosted by the Friends of the Earth. It's an environmental and social justice program. The Climate Action Show, Lost in Science, which focuses a little bit more broadly on science in general, and Earth Matters. So if you're into plants, gardening, environment, there's a whole heap of shows on 3CR that you can listen to. And one more community announcement, and I'm going to ask you guys if you've been this year, is the Lightscape show at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. It's on at the moment. It started this weekend, so 16th of June yesterday, and it's running until the 6th of August. So if you want some more information on that, jump onto the Royal Botanic Gardens website and the link that says what's on, it'll give you some more information. Haven't been yet, but it's only been going for two days. Did you? <laughs> yeah. You weren't queued up. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, I, I went that? last year, though. I mean, I did know. you go last year? Yeah, I went last year, <laughs> yeah. and it was really, really impressive. I loved yeah. it. Um, and I'm curious to see what they've done differently this year. I, I've seen some of the 
the images of what they've done in Vivid in Sydney, which I think has used some of the same stuff that was in the Melbourne one last year, mm. the, the Lightscape. So I'm curious to see what's different this year. But yeah. it was a really great experience. It was so popular last mm. year and it brought in people that wouldn't normally go yeah. to the gardens and just, you know, something mm. to do at night in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite surprising. I, I actually took my wife along last year and she was a little bit sceptical going in. Yeah, we're going to go to the Botanic Gardens at night. They've got some lights on. Yeah. <laughs> so she looked at me Great. funny, but she loved it. And, and there, like you say, there was throngs of people there mm. and really popular. And, and even the night we went, I think it was raining and it was cold. Yeah. But we kind of rugged up, had a had a glue vine on the way. Oh, nice! <laughs> really immersed ourselves into yeah. it. Got wet. Yeah. The whole European experience. Yeah. Oh, beautiful! It was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, catch that. Um, it's on for the next well, couple of months. Mm. And next weekend, as you would have heard before the gardening show started this morning. The gardening show Radiothon is on next weekend as well. Uh, Radiothon has been running for the entire month of June at 3CR. Uh, it's the biggest, it's the main fundraiser for the show to keep the show running throughout, to, sorry, not to keep the show running, to keep the station running throughout the year. And the gardening show is one of the biggest contributors to that. Our listeners every year dig so deep and we raise every year I'm blown away by the amount of money that we're able to raise. We've got some really good products available for listeners again there's heaps of books and there's quite there's a few different master classes um, that are on offer from uh, a couple of different panelists too so there's a lot of people have donated and it's going to be another crazy show (laughs) (laughs) ab and virginia have put in a lot of effort getting it up and running uh, for another year so we're looking forward to it and that's next sunday so please tune in and give us all your money I would really appreciate it. How long has the garden show been running on 3CR? It's very serendipitous that you asked this because I had a listener message me on Instagram last night. So if you're listening, Daniel, here you go. (laughs) The gardening show has been going for about 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it might have ticked over 40 sometime in the last couple of years. Mm. So it's a bloody long time, almost as long as the station has been Mm. up and running, I think. So it, it is one of the longest-running shows for the station. Pam hosted it for 25 okay. years, uh, mm. and the four of us um, and Stephen have been mm. taking the realms for the last few years. So it's a very long-running show. That's, that's a good yeah. effort. Yep. And yeah, it's great. there's some volunteers that come into Radiothon that have been like Radiothon volunteers for 20 or 30 years. Mm, so mm. you just see them once a year <laughs> and you're like, oh, hi, how you going? What do you been up to? Oh, 3CR is such a wonderful resource or an asset. Mm. For, for Well, originally it was Melbourne, now it's the world because you can podcast mm. and tune in anywhere. Yeah. The community radio, I mean, today is actually the community cup footy game, which is the Triple um, R PBS megahertz take on the Rock Dogs at right. Victoria Park. Um, so that's community radio, but, but this 3CA is a different different angle, you know, radical radio. It's such an important voice. It is, it is. And we don't get – in any other gardening show, you don't get to ramble on for an hour and a half. I know. Um, hopefully hopefully we, we sustain interest for yeah. that time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's questionable. But, anyway. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, just looking at the program list of what 3CR offers, like, there's just so many different corners of the community that get mm. to be represented and, you know, we're lucky to be able to come in and just chat about plants yeah. for an hour and a half yeah. uninterrupted. Yeah. It's, wonderful. Uh, it's just fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's good for people that are gardeners, but 
it's good for you know industry professional development purposes as well mm. you know i've met some some amazing people through being involved in the gardening show mm. so yeah it mm. is a pretty special thing and and so is the whole 3cr as well so mm. yeah it'd be good to support it next week and um keep it going for a little bit longer evan Chloe. Scotia. Scotia, when yes. You mess, when you told me the other day that you're going to Scotia after the show today or something, I thought, <laughs> all right, jumping on a plane and heading over to Canada. Yep, that sounds like Evan. <laughs> what, direct from the studio? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and, then, and then you said something else and I thought, oh, maybe he's talking about another Scotia. So I Googled it <laughs> and it's a town near the back of Burke. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's not even a town. Uh, no, it's a, it's a it dot a, on the map. A dot. It's, not, it's it a, actually not even a pub. Now, is it a property that you're going to, or is Scotia the, the town in inverted uh, commas? No, Scotia is the name of the property. Um, so it's an Australian Wildlife Conservancy sanctuary. So it has a very, very large um, exclusion fence within it. Um, it. It's in three stages. Um, Stages one and two have been fenced, and three and four not, but they, they control feral cats and foxes, uh, goats and so on in those other areas. Um, but, yeah, they have um, they release and, and look after animals like bilbies um, and uh, um, betongs, um, fasca gales, uh, which are these really cool little, little critters with a fluffy tail. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, they have all sorts of animals getting around in there, bridal-tailed um, uh, wallabies, um, which are the cutest little wallabies of all time. They have, like, mascara oh. above their eyes. <laughs> uh, and they're very small. Glam. Like, they can hide behind <laughs> yeah. they can hide behind stiper grass. You know, nice. they're very small. Wow. Um, so, and very, so we're in the desert cute. somewhere. Yeah. So, so we're, we're about um, – we're, we're between Wentworth and Broken Hill. Okay. Um, and you drive through a sheep property to get to it, and the property ends up at the South Australian border. So it's a very big property, um, and uh, I'm going up there to do some voluntary work, and um, I've been up there before, uh, and it's fantastic. They've got good accommodation there for volunteers, uh, and there actually is a call-out at the moment for volunteers. So one of the things I'm doing up there is helping prepare for um, some environmental weeding work that's going to be done by volunteers, and I see on the app that there's already people who have signed up for that. So all of you gardeners who love pulling out weeds, mm-hmm. um, you know, have a look at it. Jump on the Australian Wildlife Conservancy website. Yeah. Look under volunteer uh, opportunities. There is an app that you can that that you'll be led to. You can download and that you can fill out a form there to sort of show what your skills are, what your fitness levels are, all of those sorts of things, um, and uh, and you can help help uh, to to get up there and, and pull out some weeds and and so on um there's there's other opportunities i'm going to new haven as well um in a, in about four weeks time yeah. which is i've never been there it's um in the tanami desert or along the tanami track um and about look- five hours northwest of alice yeah. springs and that's one of their other properties that's one of their other properties yeah. um and uh up there i'm on uh, poo patrol um <laughs> <laughs> Are you analysing scats? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, a nicer way of putting yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a survey um, for the black-footed rock wallabies that's mm. been going on for about 20 years. 
Uh, and every year at this time of year, they, they do this survey. Mm-hmm. It's over 10 days. Um, you're just marching around the escarpments, apparently. I haven't mm-hmm. done it yet. Um, so I think it'll be quite arduous. Is, is the mission just to find the poo or is it to analyse the poo? No, no, just find it. <laughs> uh, so as I understand it, they probably have quadrats drawn mm-hmm. or, you know, marked out um, in certain areas and they're probably counting scat within okay. those spots so each scat day. Is an, an indicator of population size. Exactly. Or? And so it gives them an idea of how mm-hmm. many how many they're about. Because some of these animals were very widespread and they're really now just sort of mm-hmm. Uh, lo- you know, very localised um, because they can't come out, for example, out of the escarpments because cats are a threat, mm. you know, especially to young ones. Okay. Uh, cats are the big deal in, in Australia, mm. the big, big problem. There was a really good uh, article on the ABC News website last week, I think, showing the stomach contents of a uh, feral cat and it had something like six little mm. mammals in its stomach. Jeepers. They kill yeah. millions every year. Um, and so this, along with Bush Heritage, which is another really great organisation yeah. that has exclosures, um, the, the AWC are um, really leaders in this um, and they have properties all around Australia um, from the Kimberley to Cape York, um, not in Tasmania, not in Victoria. But there is a there is a place in the Yuyang, so I, um, I forget the oh, name. Oh, Mount of it. Rothwell. Mount Rothwell, yeah, yeah. and okay. that's got an exclusion fence too. Yep. Okay, mm. they've... Is that a Bush uh, Heritage a, site? I think it's a privately I've, sponsored, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And they've got, is it the Eastern Bard Bandicoot? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay, yeah. And a mm. particular quoll there yeah. as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, which is, yeah, very local. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But, but similar concept to, yeah. to, I mean, it's that, it's quite frightening that we have to have this exclusion fence and expensive too. I mean, to put mm. up an exclusion fence for cats is not just a simple ring lock fence. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's also a, a sanctuary of theirs, uh, which is on a national park, um, just quite close to Mildura called Mallee Cliffs. And just recently they built about mm. a 35 kilometre long fence. Mm. You know, that's how big these areas are. They're enormous. Mm. Um, but, but for gardeners, for, you know, people like ourselves, mm. uh, we can. The key with these areas is that the environment is right. So, you know, we can make a difference, um, whether it be locally in our own gardens or going up and helping with these sorts of projects to to get the environmental weeds out. Perhaps there'll be some replanting and that type of thing to, to bring back the plants that were there. Uh, which might be a food source for a t- particular mm. moth that mm. a Fascagale might eat. or yep. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all linked and I do think that plants hold the key. Mm. And so as gardeners, I think, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to um, to get involved mm. in these projects and not look at it from the fluffy animal side of it, mm. look at it from the plants. Well, and that, we are plant people, that's what we yeah. do. And that's what I love about animal conservation is they often get, you know, because you get these cute fluffy mm. animals, they're often, you know, save the earth for the animals but then mm. the animals need to be somewhere so yeah cool <laughs> fence it off <laughs> deal with the weeds mm. and then let whatever uh you know natural species come back and support that mm. so that they so that those plants can then support those animals yeah that's right. but what's awesome about all these properties <clears throat> excuse me is that you can go to outback australia however far you want to go but tie it in tie volunteer work in with a trip like, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, that's find holidays. Out, yeah, 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 yeah. Find out what's on what bush heritage, mm. you know, volunteer works going mm. on, what Australian Wildlife mm. Conservancy are doing, and tie it in with 
traveling around and seeing the rest you know other parts of australia as well and sometimes having a purpose you know to get to somewhere by a certain time is good yeah. as well yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. How mm. long will you be up at Scotia for? I'm there for two weeks and I'm back for two weeks and then I go to New Haven. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a f- really fantastic time. And a good time to get out of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was thinking the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> bit of yeah. sunshine, bit of sky. Yeah, yeah. Freezing nights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Freezing yeah. nights, yeah. <laughs> no, but anyway, anyone interested, you know, jump, you know, as gardeners, you know, there is gardening work that that needs to be done in these places. So Australian yeah. Wildlife Conservancy, jump on their website, yeah. have a look. Yep, get mm. involved. Okay, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster and I have Tim, Tim Sansom from the Diggers Club and Evan Golke from Ochre Landscape in the studio with me this morning. If you want to call us up and have a chat, ask any questions, give us a call on 94190155. Susie and I will take your call. The text line is 0488 809 855 if you want to send us a text message. Just a reminder that we can't accept images via the text message. You'll need to email us the photos if you want to send a photo into us and our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. We've had a couple of questions from the text line come in already uh, and there was one about someone was very, very organised and sent their text message through last night about climbing rows in an inner courtyard. Hmm. How hard can they cut it back? It kind of depends on which climbing rows it is in a way. I mean, there's Banksia roses which are almost evergreen and they they don't need as much cutting. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. But I got a couple of climbing roses at my place. I really just cut them back enough so that they don't catch my shoulder as I walk past them. Mm. Um, um, you can go relatively hard if you want to take it back to some framework, back onto whatever it's growing on. It will happily grow again. I tend not to prune too hard with mine because I've got a lot of buds forming on mm. mine right now uh, and there's spring flower that I'll cut off if I cut off too much. Mm. My thing with roses is it's kind of... You can hack them to the ground and it won't be a problem for any rose. Any rose. Any rose. Yeah. And this is a climbing rose, so you, you want to keep it, keep um, something happening up mm. through the canopy. But you can't go wrong. It's just what do you want to do? Yeah. Mm. So make sure you have a sharp pair of secateurs so that you, some, you know, make some really clean cuts. But, yeah, you might want to prune back to a framework mm. or, and sort of pick your leading canes mm. and then prune back to a couple of buds, mm. you know, off little shoots that come from – from the, the leaders. Yeah, but if you want to tidy it up, that's the best way to sort of tidy mm. it up. Like yeah. like a lot of climbs, like wisteria is the mm. same. You know, you, you, you prune, you, you, you pick your main leaders that you want to keep and that being the framework mm-hmm. of the plant and then you just prune back to those and, and leave, as you say, a couple of buds on each one. And, you know, wisteria is the same, although you tend to do that through the growing season, through summer. Mm. But um, rose, and roses, you can do that as well. Do it, do it through the summer. Do it all the time, essentially. Yep. Um, whereas if you cut it back hard now, you'll get massive growth mm. coming. So if it's mm. if it's in a tight space, you maybe mm. in some ways you do it a little bit lighter now, mm. and then once it finishes flowering, maybe give it a trim harder it yeah. trim then. Because mm. a bit like fruit trees, you know, yep. a lot of fruit tree planting happen, uh, pruning will happen sort of late summer mm. um, because you don't get that massive growth mm. afterwards. So it probably slows it up a little bit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that's been helpful. 
Uh, a couple of text messages that have come in already. Um, the Friends of Mary Creek uh, have an event today at starting at 10am until 12.30. They're doing planting in a wetland at Imaru Street in Faulkner. So they're planting local Indigenous grasses, rushes and herbs at, at a reconstructed wetland at Imaru Street. So, oh, I love this. They've put in a Melways reference. <laughs> it's so good. 17K6. <laughs> Great. If you've you still join, got a Melways, yeah. If you've still got a Melways. <laughs> no. uh, they're putting on a free barbecue lunch afterwards for all your hard work. So that's from 10 until 12.30 today, um, run by the Friends of Mary Creek. So I almost feel like we need to explain what a Melways is <laughs> to the younger demographic. <laughs> I actually a, still use one every, right. now and then because they, they're really useful because if you're going to new areas, yeah. you know, like sometimes they end up in the northern suburbs, which is like halfway to Sydney from my place. And I have had times when Google has failed me. Like yes. I've been driving along and it loses it yeah. and I'm thinking, well, actually, I just don't know where analog I am. Analog backup. That's yeah. Right. Melways is an analog backup <laughs> for analog Google Maps. Back- <laughs> but I just don't know where I am. I don't know. Am I going north? Am I going south? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's really nice, I feel like, to, to sort of look at that and say, okay, that's where I am in the world. Yeah. And I'm not just on that little screen <laughs> hoping that I'm on my way. <laughs> some dirt road. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> to a cliff. Exactly. It's like a comforting um, weighted blanket because it's so thick. And the Caramelways is edition 50. Do, do, they, do wow. they still make them? Sorry, they I'm still make them. Yeah, they sell them on my local hardware really? store. Okay. Yeah. Remember, no, no, not I talking gardening it, here. But no. I remember when you used to get your your your, um, your license, you got your pea plates, and you got the millways with yeah. it. That was, that was sort of back. Oh, this I'm dating myself now. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I I got a millways when I got my peas. <laughs> really, I didn't smartphones get one. weren't a thing then. Yeah, oh, I was robbed. Yeah, robbed, absolutely. <laughs> you, I you still got your keep... 50th edition. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still keep mine in the car. Do you? Yeah, it's important. Again, like. What if you, if your phone runs out of battery, or like if you're out of range? Which I mean, in the Melways, you probably wouldn't run out run out of range these days when you need a Melways. But they do have like wider Victorian maps. Yeah. In them. What I used to love, or still do love, is that the Melways used to blow out the whole map. You mm. like a huge wall map. They have oh, them at some I petrol stations. That. I could mm. stare at them. Yeah, for yeah, hours. Uh, yeah. That, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's where that is. Right, go right across. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, paper maps are still really valuable. I went to the Brisbane Rangers last year. We, we took some students over. I mean, it was really more for the teachers, but it was such a fun day. But I got a paper map of the Brisbane Rangers because it's got all the it's got all the tracks in there, mm. and the tracks aren't on Google Maps. So, like, we yep. needed the paper map for it, and they had all the walking tracks, all the all the dirt roads mm. where vehicles well, would and, access. And Google Maps, if you're, if you're trying to navigate, like if you're bushwalking or something, you need contours, you need, you need yeah. right, ridge lines, you need, yeah, which Google mm. Maps. Yeah, don't yeah. go bushwalking with Google Maps. No, no, I've diverted slightly from the railways, but... <laughs> Thanks for the railways reference. What yep. was it again? It, yes, what was it? 17K6. Right. At Imaru Street, Faulkner. Oh, someone's just texted in, love the funny Melways chat. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably in addition two or one, yeah. Yeah. page yeah. 17. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's one of the early pages. Yeah. Ooh, that's very exciting. <laughs> Collector's edition. <laughs> um, just a couple of other text messages come through. Di, could you just scroll the screen down so I can read the other ones? Uh, Fermi has just messaged in giving a reminder of the Alpine Garden Society Victoria, their group conference. 
Um, the details of that is on their website if you want any further info. So it's agsvicgroup.org and the conference is being held later this year. So we'll be chatting a little bit more about that hmm. um, as the conference comes a little bit closer, but you can definitely book in now. So that's for the Alpine Garden Society. Hmm. Okay, the number if you want to call in. Uh, 94190155 and the text message line is 0488809855. Any, any plants that we talk about always goes up onto our Instagram and Facebook pages so you can find us on both of those uh, social media sites. We are the 3CR Gardening Show, all one word. All right, Tim, what's happening at Diggers? Well, what's happening at Diggers is our seed annual is about to drop. In fact, I have an advanced copy in my hot little hand here, and I'll I'll put a couple of photos up on the Instagram shortly. Uh, So uh, for those of you out there in radio world that don't know who Diggers is or what we we do, what we do, We've, we're a garden um, membership organisation. We've got you know, 87,000 members across Australia uh, and we um, publish magazines and catalogues uh, across analog. the Analogue. Analogue, very analogue. <laughs> we, we do have a digital version, actually. There is, there is a website, which is, which is quite digital. But we get very much in the analogue. Uh, and and, and this, this magazine, in fact, is so analogue, it has a, a table of contents oh, on the front. Oh, beautiful. Uh, so... So this this our annual our seed annual is um, our um, eighty page seed compendium of all the seed that we have on offer for the for the year coming. And there's actually other seed that's not in this magazine, um, but you can get online. Uh, but this is the mainstay of what we do. So this always drops at this time of the year. It's the sort of midwinter time when you open up your catalogue and start planning your your coming garden for or your garden activity for seed planting for for spring and summer. Uh, so that's the that's the um, that's why we do it now, uh, and it's in, and it lasts a year. So it has everything for uh, sowing throughout the whole year with sowing calendars and um, and, a, and a bunch of great information about how you can get your vegetables and your flowers going from seed, which is obviously core to what we do. Diggers has been growing seed and selling seed for about as long as this gardening show has been going. Actually, that's a bit right. longer, about forty five years coming yeah. up. Um, and our bend is really around uh, heirloom and seed preservation. Uh, so this year, there's a couple of highlights I, I thought I'd just point out. Mm. Um, so for us, the the engagement of seeds or the, the working with seeds is a very um, it's it's a community thing. It's a people thing. Uh, heirloom seed. The, the concept of an heirloom seed is that it can be handed down from generation to generation. It's not owned by a corporate entity. There's there's a, a real sense of community and, and connection. Uh, and so a lot of the, and, and we've spent a lot of time in the last uh, few years going to our membership or going to Australian gardeners and saying, what have you got that's part of your family history? What's, what are some of the seed stories that, that you've got? Uh, and how can we help preserve those? We, we're a, a foundation at our core. So we are a, um, a not-for-profit charity at our core. That, um, and some of the activities we do around that are, well, in fact, all the, all the profits that we make out of our operation plough back into our charitable mission, which is around seed preservation, you know, conservation of, of heritage varieties uh, and education as well. So we're really keen for people to pick up what, what we're doing and take it into their own space and, and learn. 
Um, but what we've what we've we've gone to our our member file and said, okay, what seeds have you got that's that that we, you would be interested in us preserving that are going to come to an end of a line in a in a in a family where no one else can can look after it anymore? Um, and how can we take that on board as part of our seed protection um, um, mission? Um, and interestingly, we didn't have to look all that far this year because we've got one of our new releases this year is a squash called Kumi Kumi or Kamo Kamo, um, which actually comes from a woman, uh, a Maori woman Pekka, who works in our dispatch shed, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great story actually. That is so, a great so Pekka is, is a um, proud Maori woman. She's um, um, been in Australia only only for this generation um, but her family have brought this variety uh, to the country and it's part of their their cultural cuisine uh, so it's a squash it's a cucurbit um, which is like the zucchinis or the squashes um, but it's a particular one that was selected by the Maori uh, after European colonization or after European connection anyway um, so whilst it's has its heritage or its genetic heritage back into European breeding because uh, zucchini, squashes, those sorts of things. I think they originate in Asia, then they went through okay. sort of Europe uh, and, and it became part of the European cuisine. Uh, then came to New Zealand and it was adopted by the, the Maori community. And it's this wonderful sort of fat squash. I'll put a picture on the on the Instagram mm. with these. It's it's like a like gourd like ribs. It's sort of so it's about the size of a, a softball, I suppose. Okay. Uh, when it's fully mature, oh, it's a gets a hard skin. <laughs> yeah, but wow. they use it um, traditionally in in hungies and um, and and cultural preparations a bit a bit more uh, less mature than that. Mm-hmm. But it does grow into this mature hard skin, quite ornamental thing. Uh, so. Here we are, you know, going to the whole gardening community of Australia saying, you know, and, and we do have quite a lot of others as well. You know, there's a lot of great stories that come from our, from our members and, mm. and we trial varieties and, and some get into the magazine and some get into our offer every year. But here we are, in our own backyard, we had Pekka with this variety, which has <laughs> which been released this year. There's an article in the, in the seed, seed catalogue around our trials and production for this year and that was one of the winners that came through into our, into our list. So nice. it's, it was really it's That's it's, it's really really nice really yeah. and a lot of a lot of these varieties have stories they're people stories mm. that sit behind them um, we, we've just kicked off recently a supporter seed program where we where we've got a bunch of heirloom seed varieties that if we don't grow them out every every few years and keep them going they will struggle to to exist um, so we're we've got a bunch of varieties out there where we're People can sponsor that variety, so you know you can either you can pay, you know, fifty bucks, hundred bucks, or up to it. We, we we've done the calculation; it's about a thousand dollars over a two or three year period to keep a variety going in in our seed vault. So that's that's to to get the seed, germinate the seed, grow the seed into plants, row that out, create a crop, you know, manage a crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Make sure that the pollination requirements and the exclusion requirements are such that it stays true to type. Harvest that crop, process that, put it back into seed storage and keep it going in perpetuity. That's something that takes resource. Uh, and there's no sort of there's no funding for this sort of preservation work um, from governments or elsewhere. No. So we've started a, a support a seed program. We've got some um, we've got uh, three or four different um, varieties that have been sponsored so far, and we've got other varieties up there for, for, for sponsorship. Um, mm. Yeah, so if, if people are interested to get involved, there's a yeah. there's a link on our page, and there's there's elements on our website as well. I'm curious how you grow and collect the seeds. So you there's diggers like you got 
working properties where you just yep. have all of these growing. Yeah, so we've got – so we – There's, the, you know, there's tens of thousands of members of diggers. You, you must need to have a lot of yeah. seeds on hand. So we, we've got – we yeah, so a lot of the seed that we um, – that we sell through our seed catalog. Some of it comes. Th- some of it comes from an international network of seed suppliers. So mm-hmm. we're connected with an, an international seed trade, and we buy from uh, international seed suppliers, um, particularly in the US and the UK. There's big movement in the US. We've been involved with the Seed Saver Exchange mm-hmm. for twenty um, odd years. Um, so we're connected with that international trade. Bearing in mind, there's a lot of restrictions on international movement of seeds these days. Um, yeah, there is. All seed. Any seed import into the country needs a phytosanitary certificate, even if it's a tiny little packet. Okay. Um, so we we have to we have to make sure we comply to all those, which we're more than happy to do for biosecurity reasons. So yeah, we're part of that international seed network, and we do a bit of exchange there um, and buying. But we also grow an increasing amount of seed ourselves in our own mm. um, in, in our own production um, and trials area, which is down the back in our property at Dramana. Uh, so a lot of the varieties that. Uh, organic, so we've got an organic certified seed production area. Right. Uh, a lot of the, the varieties that you just can't import anymore. So there's varieties that, like for beans, for instance, you're not allowed to import. Carrots was on the list to stop being imported. Okay. So even, even if you do do phytosanitary, so so we're investing in our um, our seed production and trials area, uh, and we so we every year we trial new things as well as to have seed crops that we grow. Mm. So we've got a, a team that do that. But we're actually opening up this year, the first time, an opportunity for our members to do trials as well. So there's a um, there's an opportunity for we've, I think we've got three crops that we're that we're doing tomatoes, lettuce, and oh, I can't remember what beans might be. Um, where we're saying to our membership, if you want to be involved in trials, sign up by the end of July, and we will allocate a, a crop to you. We'll send it out. You then get to fill in some forms and um, and give us some data back. And we're really keen to get people from different climate zones and yeah. different growing areas, yep. so we can really build that knowledge around um, the, the the climate requirements of different crops. Uh, so we're doing a bit of citizen science out awesome. there through our membership. So how do you um, how do you exclude if you're growing? Do you, do you net? Yes. And so then, how do you uh, make sure that pollination happens? Yeah, it depends on the crop. So there's a whole science to seed saving. Some crops are simple. Um, probably the, the simplest crop is something like a, a tomato, which will self-pollinate. So a tomato is a complete flower. It's got all the male and female parts in the tomato flower. So it will self-pollinate. So you, you don't get much genetic drifting between different varieties. Ideally, you, you, you have a variety of tomatoes. You'll plant five plants together and you'll have a two or three metre exclusion zone between that and the next variety to keep general purity. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got things like uh, zucchinis and squash or, or pumpkins, which if you have the same species, because pumpkins, different pumpkins are different species. If you have the same species, two varieties growing in the same area that's flowering at the same time, you'll get cross-pollination, mm. which means that you will not get true to type. So often if you get a seed from your pumpkin that you, you know, when you're making your pumpkin soup and you get some pumpkins when you, pumpkin seeds when, you, when you're making your chopping it up mm. if you go and sow those and they've come from a commercial um, pumpkin grower or commercial uh, vegetable garden vegetable um, production farm they're most likely to be a hybrid which means that they'll throw to anything next generation mm. you don't get that consistency the next generation and that's because they do a, a, a an intentional cross first generation and then that that creates a uniform crop for that 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 generation the following 
crop can revert back anywhere. With with seed like open pollinated seed, heirloom seed, you've got uh, you've got a genetic diversity within that within that variety. So you've got some variation, but you need to be. But, and you and you can collect seed from that and go to the next generation, so long as you haven't cross pollinated with another species. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit in that, and I don't want to make it sound too technical, but it is quite technical for some crops. Mm-hmm. Some crops are pretty straightforward and simple; they self pollinate. Others need a bit of exclusion. So mm. we'll, we'll either hand pollinate, so there'll be times when we'll do the action of a bee. We'll take the female um, part and put it with the male part and then close that flower or, mm-hmm. or bag that flower because mm-hmm. that way we know we've done the cross. Or we will actually, <clears throat> pardon me, we won't grow the same species within the same area, and that's kilometres because of bee flight. So we'll have – that's and that's – why we're keen to get different um, areas. We have other seed growers, seed farmers do the work for us um, and, and we make sure that we'd have different crops in different places so that we can maintain purity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, my parents passed away last year and we've been, you know, clearing out and Dad had a great tomato, you know, like, and, and he grew all sorts of vegetables. Mm. But I've grown on his tomatoes last year and they are the most fantastic beefsteak tomato no idea what the heritage of them is yeah. where he got them from you know mm-hmm. he'd been growing them for a long time but uh you just sort of wonder you know is it a is it something well, different is, is it something special or is time. it and this yeah. is and and the, i think the first thing is that we, if you've got something like that that's going to go to extinction for instance like it's going to at the end of the line with you send it to us we'll grow it in a trial we'll see if it's different to anything else mm. if it's really similar to something else we might sort of categorize it like that but mm. if it's and we've got um we've got a couple of varieties this year we've got nonna's passata which <laughs> we didn't know what it was we don't know what it, what it is but mm. it's different to anything we've had before and mm. it came from a member who sent it to us and just said nonna called it passata <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so i think we've got a nonna's italian mm. passata we don't know yeah. what it was but it is different to anything we've had mm. so it's worthy of keeping mm. um we had a, a member send us these huge broad beans. Um, like the seeds themselves were, you know, twice the size of size of a normal broad bean, which looked really interesting. Yeah. So we grew that out. Um, we've done some research on that. We've grown a seed crop. We're now offering it this year. Wow. It's a variety called Aprovicho, which we didn't know at the time. They didn't know that when they sent it to us. Wow. Uh, they sent it to us. We grew it out. And, and these things are enormous. I'll, again, I'll put some pictures on the. Yeah, room. that sounds but really like they're, interesting. They're, um, I'm doing the action here, but they're nearly a foot long. These beans, yeah. and they're enormous. And so the double potting would be so much easier because <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. so much bigger, yeah. so yeah. much more. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so do, do they taste the same? And are they they yeah. pod the same? And they pod the same. They just. They're just a, an <coughs> enormous just, version. So somebody yeah. brought them home in a handbag from Italy or something well, in the 1950s. Think, think, you know, that's so what we, happens, isn't it? What, so what we've done is we've traced it back, and, <clears throat> and there's always an element of investigation in this. <clears throat> the variety Aprovecho is was bred by uh, uh, a guy in Canada, actually, a fellow called uh, – what's his name? It's a funny name. It's like Ian. It's like Ian with a T on the end, Ian Evans, who's a sort of a back-to-the-earther kind of guy back in the 70s. And there was an Apro- and he uh, set up the Aprovecho Research Institute and did a fava bean breeding program, mm. fava beans, broad beans, and we thought, oh, well, that's that's got to be a connection. So because because we've never seen a bean of that size anywhere mm. else, and we went to our network and said that's what it is. So that's what we're calling it because we're pretty likely mm. that's what it is. So you can sort of trace back, but the but the people who gave it to us didn't know that's what it was. Mm. So it's it's fascinating stuff. And just think if they hadn't given to us, you, you can't bring that seed into Australia anymore. It wouldn't be available to Australian gardeners. So mm. huge thanks to the to the people that are donating our seed. Being such Great. a big heavy bean, 
Is that is that a broad bean that you should plant early? Because I always, I tend to plant mine late because I don't like them getting so big. Yeah. But would that be one that you should plant early? We do most of our broad beans plant sort of late summer and then crop oh, through really? winter. Oh, really? That early? Yeah. Wow. So all autumn, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, but but we're trying to get a seed crop through. Uh, yes. So, and the thing I found with broad beans, and and this one we've only grown for a season or two. So again, it's something we're, we're sort of mm. building knowledge on. But broad beans, you can grow pretty much year round. It's really, I think the thing with broad beans is you can grow them year round, but in the summer you can grow other things. So that okay. you know, so you, you sort of use broad beans as, as an in, a crop in between other things because it will take the cooler weather. Mm. Uh, but they will, they really don't sort of. Set fruit very well until there's a lot of bee activity and a lot of pollination activity. So, if you if you have them flowering in the middle of winter, they, you tend to not as get as heavy crop as they if they flower a little bit later when there's more bee activity. Yeah, that's yeah. my experience. That they mm. they don't really start putting pods on until into spring. Yeah, that's right. So it doesn't For matter if production. I plant them, yeah, yeah. you know, late summer or uh, late winter, or if I plant them yeah, in March. Because, yeah, it doesn't sort matter. Sort of makes at all. no difference I, I to agree. my crop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you pretty much they catch up in yeah, terms they of fruiting up. in yeah. the spring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Sounds like a great broad bean. My wife's going to be very pleased with that. Yeah, that'd be, yeah. <laughs> I, you haven't got any in your pocket, bean. have you? <laughs> <laughs> Not in my pocket, but they're available online. <laughs> oh, online. Uh, okay, we had a text message come in, still on the on the food train. Um, hello, Chloe and panelists. Alex, a Melbourne Poly Hort student and longtime Malways fan. <laughs> I feel like we need to call this show like the Melways Appreciation yeah, Society yeah, or something. It's a new show starting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, as they've got a Satsuma blood plum dwarf form that's about five years old. It was probably about a metre tall when they planted it and they've been getting fruit for the last couple of years. Mm. Garden preferences have changed uh, but and they're thinking of digging it out. They're wondering if it's possible to do it without killing it. Questions are, what's the safest way to do it? How should it be cared for during the process? And how quickly would it need to be transplanted elsewhere? Would it survive in a container? Oh, absolutely. Well, answer yes to yes all of that. To yeah. all of them. Yes and now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. full dormancy now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, heritage fruit trees up near Beaufort or Ararat, mm-hmm. they're one of the bigger, mm. yeah, bigger um, heritage fruit suppliers and growers. I was watching their Instagram this week, and they're digging out, bare rooting mm. all of their mm. um, all of their stock at the moment. Well, so we've just, now's at, the time. Just at Heronswood this week, um, we've been doing some significant garden renovations. Uh, Heronswood, our garden in Dramana, um, and we created a whole new seed garden, which is a different story. But part of that has been to move what was our parterre, which was a, a, a quite a um, uh, ornate vegetable garden, which had around it espaliered fruit trees, pears, and apples. Uh, quite large, quite established. So we're talking, you know, a, a, a trunk that's probably three or four inches in diameter. Um, but they were dug up and moved this week. Wow! Mm. To a new location. Yeah. So yeah. this is the time to yep. do that. Yeah. And and yeah. So you can you don't have to be you don't have to do it in a day. Like mm. this time of the year, they're not doing much. Mm. So you can dig them up and move them next week. Yeah. But this is definitely the time to do them. I would say too to to perhaps prune back the top a bit too. And I know it's I know it will force new growth in the spring, but you want it to throw into some growth into the spring cuz you want it to get some good activity going, getting its roots established. Yeah. Yeah, and probably if you if you the bigger the pot the better, you know, so you can get a decent mm. root ball mm. and and sort of trim it down so that it's you know, it's got a couple of inches spare 
mm. around, you know, so it's got something to grow into yeah. into the yep. new potting mix. So you're not sort of putting jamming it into a pot yeah. by by how big you've cut the root mm. ball. Yeah, and you probably wouldn't want to put it in anything much bigger than a couple of than two or three inches extra out from the thing because then mm. they can drown, like they can sort of drown in the potting mix. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's that's what I was saying when I came in. It's a really great time of year. You can mm. literally do anything in the garden. You can yeah. move all sorts of things without any trouble. I mean, I've been digging up Dianella cerulea at home. In fact, I haven't even been digging it up. I've just been pulling it out of the ground. <laughs> it's well, a lazy it's so gardener. Loose. Yeah, it's so loose. Yeah. You just pull it out, cut the tops in half, whack it in the ground. Yeah. And, you know, okay, it doesn't look the prettiest, um, doesn't look like I've just bought it from a nursery. But come spring, yeah. they'll just take off mm. and they'll fill up the space. So mm. by the end of next summer, that space will be full. Because when you do it like that, you can plant lots of them. Yeah. So you plant them really close, you know, maybe mm. 200 mil apart, and that means that it fills it up really, really quickly and it hasn't cost you a cent. Mm. Um, well, so I do that with lots of plants mis- you can do this that. time of the year, I do that with miscanthus. So yeah. I've got a bunch of clumps of miscanthus, which are looking wonderful while they're still all strawy mm. and waving yeah. in the wind. So yeah. I haven't cut them down yet, but I probably should soon. Uh, but as soon as I cut them down... I can then dig up each one of those clumps and then just with a spade divide it up into four. Or plant, an axe. Or an axe, yeah, depending <laughs> yeah. on how, how, how big they are yeah. and how, how much activity I want to wield. But, yeah, I can, I can multiply those plants and have huge impact really quickly. Like yeah. I, a, a, clump, a big clump of miscanthus can make half a dozen plants, which makes a whole swathe in one hit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I've been wondering about miscanthus because uh, I've, I've always grown miscanthus. And uh, I've been wondering for years now, and I just haven't got around to it, whether I should grow a whole, like, you know, like 50 square metres of it and then use it for the veggie garden Mm. because it's great straw. Yeah. It's extremely long-lasting straw. So for years I've been using it under the straw. As a biomass, yeah. Exactly. Mm. That's right. I've been growing it and using it under the strawberries. So when Mm. I cut it, um, I I use motorised shears. Um, and I start from the top, mm-hmm. and you do a cut through and a cut through, and you work your way yeah, down great. the, the mm-hmm. plant so that um, so it's, it's only already like in, in like sh- ten centimeters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So and then you can just pick it up and rake it up, and it's already small. Mm-hmm. If you cut it at the bottom and then try and cut that once it's not attached to anything, it's way harder. Did you learn that the hard way? No, it's, oh, it's okay. how we used to always do gardening because <laughs> yeah. you know we're into the, what my brother would call the chop and drop. Yeah. Uh, in in yep. gardens, you know, whenever Beautiful. we would cut things yep. back in gardens, we would always start at the top. And work our way down in really fine pieces because yeah. then it just filters down yeah. in amongst if it's a perennial bed or something, mm. filters down in amongst it. It can stay there. Whereas yeah, you, you don't have cut- to go and put it in your green bin. No, you in don't fact, waste don't it. Don't put that stuff in no, your green yeah, bin. Yeah, it's because it's building your soil. Exactly. Yeah. It's beautiful. I don't have a green bin. I, really? Well, I should, probably should because I, I do generate feel- more than I more than I can process. <laughs> but I deliberately don't so that mm. I can keep the keep biomass on my property. Yeah. I want to keep it there. I do for horrendous weeds. Yeah. yeah, you know some things that's what it's good that have, that have gone neighbors. to seed or <laughs> you, use your neighbours. Yeah, that's right. In Not the dark, house, skulking they're going out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you well, you just chuck it over the fence. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, you are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster, and I have Evan Golke and Tim Sansom in the studio with me this morning. Uh, uh, listener John from Footscray has called in asking about. Sourcing grafted fruit trees and cyan wood from their Werribee Heritage Orchard. They do on their website. They do have 
an online shop and I was looking at it this week, uh, but it looks like a lot of it is sold out at the moment. Their volunteer days are on Fridays, but they do respond pretty quickly to emails. So, John, if you can jump onto heritageorchard.org.au and find an email address or their contacts page and contact them through there because I'm not quite sure exactly how they operate. But otherwise, if you're after heritage what fruit the petties, trees... the Petty's Grafting Day? Yeah, yeah there's the Petty's Grafting Day that we are talking about earlier. So that's a website, heritagefruitssociety.org, uh, that you can jump on. And the other thing that I've just gone blank, uh, Heritage Fruit Trees. So there's sort of all sound a little bit similar. But Heritage Fruit Trees still had a, have a lot of stock on sale, so you can jump onto their website as well. Mm. Um, we do have one of our special callers, Alan from the UK, has called in about seed saving. Good morning, Alan. Oh, hi, guys. It was, it's a great discussion. Um, I just I was laughing because it's obviously spring, and so I've been looking at my seed collection and we've been cold this spring, so I've had to kind of delay some of the planting. But I, because we're in the UK, a lot of the climate's changing, so we have I have to kind of adapt where I want to plant out. We're right in the middle of the of the UK, and so I'm I'm oh every year I do a little challenge. I've been trying to grow watermelon and <laughs> cantaloupe, and I've been trying to find seed in the UK that anybody else has tried so i like the discussion um that diggers is actually trying to have people bring in seed or or recommend seed and i just thought you guys would laugh because i i did find a company in wales that does that has done that so they 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 find seed they grow the seed wales is sort of where on the same uh, you know area that i am and lo and behold, when I ordered it, they actually brought the seed in from Minnesota. So I, I'm now growing. I am now growing Minnesota midget watermelon yep. and and some other cantaloupe. Uh, you know, from from my you know home country, the Midwest. But you know, I, I don't want to bring seed in from America. I, I you know, even if it might be okay, but it's it's just something I don't want to do. But I just thought it was great. I'm. Um, the other thing that was kind of starting to be more of a trend, and I don't know if, if it's if it's doable over there, but they were talking about doing more of the perpetual veg. Maybe it grows three to five years. So we, are, I have been trying to do some of the, the kale that kind of sticks around. We've got a perpetual, almost like a kind of like a hybrid cauliflower, oh. uh, and it just kind of grows small florets, but it looks like mm. it's going to grow through our winter as long as I fleece it. Is there anything that Diggers does that for that you guys have found that you that you can kind of perpetuate? It's harder than seed, obviously, but I didn't mm. know if that was something that you guys had looked at. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. A couple of things. Um, just back on watermelon, though. <clears throat> if there's a watermelon that you're looking to grow <laughs> in a cool climate, Blacktail Mountain is a variety that's really glow, grows in really cold climates. So check that one out if you can get it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we do, there's a there's a there's a walking stick kale which is a perennial, or you can perennialize. We do a perennial spinach, uh, so it, it'll last you know for a couple okay. of seasons. These things aren't you know perennial perennial; they're kind of biennial, and you know you extend them. There's a couple of chilies that um, that we've managed to get to to live through a couple of winters. We've got a milder winter than than perhaps where you are, 
but I think it's the thing like, yeah, that's kind of novelty thing to do. It's whether they stay productive and keep giving you the same sort of cropping level. Um, it's probably worth doing the trial to, to do a perennialised chilli versus a, a chilli that you grow year you know, from mm. seed and see if there's a, a, a productive angle. Interesting stuff. I'm not, I'm not, not, it's not something that we really dip, dug into deeply. Ellen, question. And when you guys, when you guys, oh, sorry, I was, I was just going to say for the seeds, have you guys found that, that when you have people grow them out, do they adapt a little bit locally? I mean, do you yeah. get a little bit more frost hardiness or a little bit of drought? You, is, it, is it really in one or two generations? I think it probably takes time and it's really about, <clears throat> what's important in thinking about here is with, Open pollinated or heirloom varieties, you've got a diversity within a within a, a genetic diversity within a, a cultivar or, or a, a variety. So there is there is room to move, but it all comes down to the selection that's made by the individual. So when you grow a crop, say if you grow a crop, you know, grow half a dozen tomatoes of a tommy toe is a good example. It was one that that we grew years back from a um, a seed batch that came from Seed Savers Exchange. There was a particular plant that had a particular Morphology. It had a particular shape of uh, of leaf and had a particular crop. We picked that one to then grow from. So it was a choice that we made. That's what breeding is. That's what mm. I guess selection is. So within the genetic range that a variety has, it's up to the individual to then to pick. So if you're picking for might be for disease resistance or cold hardy or flavour or whatever it is, use those as your factors and you can take that variety wherever you want. For instance, if 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 if, if you grew Tommy Toe at my place and at Chloe's place and at Evan's place and we all picked for something different, mm. you know, we chose a different uh, characteristic, over the period of, and we did that year in, year out for 10 years, we would have three distinct forms of Tommy Toe, which are our own preference. Uh, it might be the soil type where we live, it might be our flavour, it might be whatever the factor it is, but that's, that's part of the, the open pollinated seed movement. Ellen, I've got a question. Oh, go ahead. Are you growing a lot of this Sorry. in a glass house where you are? Like, are yeah. you going to grow the watermelons and, and cantaloupes? I'm just curious. How are you growing yeah. them? Yeah, yeah. They, I'm, I'm, we're really lucky. The allotment that we're on, we are on a little bit of a slope, so we actually get a lot of sun. So I'm 100% south facing. Mm. I don't have any tree line around me. And so the glass house, it's hot. I mean, it, it, it's almost too hot. I've actually put on um, like a white wash a little bit just to bring some of the UV down. Because we get the sun from like 4 a.m. till mm. almost 9 o'clock at night, mm. it just gets way too hot. And so that's why it's, it's kind of you're trying to modify <laughs> the conditions to, to make it warm for the poor things but not cook them. <laughs> Well, it has been quite warm over there. I've been watching the test match. So I've been seeing some 30-degree days. We've all been looking hot and sweaty. I don't know how they keep the grass growing for those test matches. I don't know if they they have cooling vents or something. But, I mean, all the grass here is brown at the moment. I don't know how they keep the green there. That's quite early for browning grass in the UK. Yeah, that's that's, So you're having a dry summer. Well, it's very – I mean, this divulging into the favourite topic of British people is this weather, but the, um, <laughs> we love it the too. climate change – yeah, because of the climate change, I, I'm actually right on – I'm in the Midlands, and I'm right on – I'm actually in the East Midlands, which is the driest part. Best Chattos Garden, it's not, it's not too far away yep. from me. Ah. Um, and we, we just have always had this drought pocket, 
Mm. But what we're getting now is a drought spring. So we have not had rain, nothing in the accumulation, nothing, for two months. Wow. Which is unheard of. You're turning into us. (laughs) Yeah. We got it for the winter. This winter wasn't too bad. We actually had some sustained moisture. But then we actually are having these sustained droughts. We get we get these hot temperatures because the sun is up for so long mm. and then there's just no rain. And so it's, it's just a different pattern. They're having issues with some of the, you know, the, the big established trees, you know, the grass is now just, I just keep it Brown. I don't cut it. You know, there's no mow may, but it's also no grow may cause it's not doing anything. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it's not doing a whole lot, but yeah. So, I, well, maybe I'll try to save some of the seeds if I get, I usually get like a, I don't know, it's like a large grapefruit size uh, watermelon, one or two per plant. And uh, I'm actually doing them in, I'm doing in wicking beds this year. So I cut the IBC in half, uh, and I'm going to try to see if that gives them more sustained moisture than a smaller kind of uh, self-watering pot. So so we'll see. Fingers crossed. I'll send you a picture. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. Please do, Alan. And thank you again for calling in. It's always a treat when you give us an update. discussion. Yeah. Thanks yeah, very much. Great discussion, and, and I hope I hope everybody supports the the radiothon next week. All right. Take care. Thanks, Alan. See you later. Bye. I think the chili that we really like is the Manzano mm. one, which really is a, a bush. Mm. Yeah. So it is evergreen. Yeah. And, and it and literally good. produces all the time. Yeah. Um, and they're not overly strong. Mm. Fairly mild. Um, really easy to cut. Um, uh, really easy to to grow. Rather, mm. I actually got mine off Pam. Pam oh, Barty. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She brought some in for me one time. Um, so I just grew them from the seed. Mm. Um, How but, long has yours been going then? Um, they were going about five years, and then I pulled them out because I wanted to change where they were, um, and so just took some of the seedlings that had popped up yep. below them yep. and planted them somewhere else. So. Yeah, five years and they were big, you know, mm. uh, really too big for where they were. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's a that's really a good plant. That's a proper perennial veg, that one. Yeah, it really is. I, I think to, for, for my way of thinking, it seems like the most sensible chilli mm. to grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really yeah, easy. Because yeah, yeah. you're slack, as you And I'm lazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But talking about seed variation, so I've uh, had a, I've got a lamandra, that, just an indigenous one that grows around our area. Um uh, that that's sort of where we park our cars. There's been one there, and last year or the year before, I noticed some quite big seed on it. So oh, I'll grow that, um, and I got about ten to come. They are all different. Yeah. So talking yeah. of seed yeah. variation, yeah. they yeah. are all different. Yeah, uh, some are green, some are literally black, mm. um, and uh, some are a little bit. You got a black one? Yeah, it's very dark. Keep, I've got two very. That, dark. That, oh yeah, yeah, that's going. that's yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Divided. That's, uh, yeah. that's uh, it's superannuation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know someone who can do PBR. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just just fantastic, you know, the, the variety you get. Now, I brought a couple of things in, you know, just because I, I think people just are a bit fr- afraid of growing seeds sometimes. Mm. But, you know, th- you know, a clivia seed mm. that I picked up the other day, you know, it's a big fruit, it's a beautiful mm. fruit. Yeah. Um, you know, pop it open. Um, I mean, they will just come up in your garden if you if you let them and just put them under some leaf mm. mould or something like that, and they will pop up. But you can pop them out, sort of clean them off, and, and a set put and them, forget kind of. Yeah, seed. they yeah. really are. We, yeah. we do clivia 
put them in a polystyrene box in a yep. bit of bit of media, yep. stick them under the benches, and just forget about just them. Forget about them, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's not quite. There's, yeah. there's a little bit more to it than that. I yeah. don't want to underplay the, uh, yeah, well, the, the skills involved. Yeah. But but they're not that hard. No, they're not. In fact, I think the last time I grew some, I just put them in a takeaway plastic container with some with quite a bit of moisture in there mm. and just literally sat them on top. Yeah. And uh, and they all popped mm. up and they grew. But I've got them that, that pop up in the garden as well. And the other thing I brought in was um, now this is debatable if it's Liriope, but. They are the most beautiful mm. blue-coloured fruits. Now, yeah. I remember years ago I, I had some Mondo grass. So these are a Mondo grass um, seed. Um, I'd, I'd done somebody's garden and I was there with their parents. This is years and years ago. And I'd planted some Mondo in there. And I, I rummaged underneath the foliage and I said, oh, look, have a look at this. You know, they look like beautiful blue marbles. Mm. People never look for them. Mm. I, just, I just don't think they see them. And yeah. they thought I was pulling their leg. They thought I pulled it out of my pocket <laughs> really? and it wasn't really a yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but they are extraordinary. Mm. So this is off Emerald Cascade, which mm. your miner call a Liriope. Um, uh, sorry, call a, yeah, a Liriope. Mm. Um, I still think it's an Ophiop Hogan personally. <laughs> but... Um, they are the most magnificent fruit. They're shiny, perfect little blue berries. Blue, yeah. Yeah. It's a true quite a translucent blue. Berry. blue. Yeah. yeah, I've got it at home. In fact, I saw one yesterday. I had a fruit like yeah, that online. Yeah. and they, they grow really it. readily yeah. from seed. You mm. know, so pop them open. Mm. There'll be several seed mm. inside, um, and they grow really, really well. And again, you might get a bit of variation. Mm. So it's kind of cool well, to grow like them. Dianella is very yeah. similar looking, but different very, time of the year. Yep, That's but and very similar, uh, very similar in terms of collecting and um, and germinating seed. Yeah, and Dianella is super easy mm. as well, yeah. especially longifolia, which yep. just literally pops up all around mm. the place from seed. Mm. I think um, I was once told that magpies consume them, so you have got to get in quick. Um, oh, okay, because I they, wonder if they, the magpie gut actually gets the seed going. It might. The end. Yeah. yeah, it might. But, you know, growing from seed, which you're doing all the time, mm. but I do think it's something that people can do really easily and uh, as long as you're not in a hurry mm. for a plant, if you're just growing it just for fun. Yeah. And there um, is seed everywhere in the garden. When yeah, you could, you, yeah. Like like you're saying there, your clivias, your liriopes. Mm. Yeah. There is berries and seed popping up in all sorts yeah. of places once you tune your eye in. There. And they're all propagules. Mm. Uh, which are worth playing with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, down at our property at Summers, I, I collected some seed from some acacia um, locally um, and uh, some myoporum locally. I've grown them mm. and now they're, they're mm. growing in our, our place. And, again, yep. it wasn't hard. Mm. No. I mean, if you're not doing it commercially, it doesn't matter if, if you plant 100 seed and get 20 yeah. Yeah. or if you plant 10 and get one. Mm. It doesn't matter. You've achieved mm. something and mm. then you replant mm. that. There is a big sense of achievement when you do yeah. grow a plant from a seed. Huge level of it. And then the rats come in and eat it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, or they we damp off. We offer a, <laughs> a few tree seeds too. Like we've got a couple of oaks and a couple of other things because mm. they're big seed. They're um, acorns or and, and they're – they're not all that hard to do. No. Um, and we've actually started – we're doing um, – Trish, who's our hardware manager, she's got some uh, seed vases. You know, there's little, it's sort of like a little vase, like a tulip vase, but you can put mm-hmm. a seed in the top. Yeah. Put an acorn in the top. It starts to germinate. It's, ah. water, it's a water vessel. You see the beautiful oh. um, root system develop and the first, the first uh, cotyledons come up. And it's this great little sort of indoor um, plant experiment. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, so it, it 
getting to know seed. Don't be afraid of seeds. Mm. I mean, I think people think they're going to fail with seed. Mm. Seeds are primed to work. They're primed to grow if you provide the right conditions. Mm. So a little bit of research on what that that variety might need, and there's heaps of stuff on the internet. Mm. Um, you'll get you'll you'll get things to germinate, and like yeah. you say, it's a bonus. It's a it's a real sense of pride if you grow yeah. something yeah. yourself from seed. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to some people at a kinder last week, um, which had a, you know, it's got this beautiful old oak tree in the middle. Uh, it's huge, you know. So you know, the kids have all that space to play underneath mm. it. And we were talking about, um, you know, what trees I'm going to plant. And I always plant trees that contain toys. So, you know, things that drop off that the kids can play with. And I said, well, what you should really be doing is grabbing those acorns and growing them with Mm. the kids. I said, they're so easy to grow. I mean, my child, my eldest, uh, youngest used to collect um, acorns from school when we'd pick up his older uh, um, sister and he'd put them in his pockets and then you know, empty him out in the garden, wherever, you know, <laughs> at home. And, you know, oh, of course, he's got it in the blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, oak trees pop up, yeah. So, and which we planted one down in the back backyard. So, you know, it's really easy and it, it is mm. a really lovely thing for kids to go back in years mm. to come and say, well, I grew that, you yeah. know, and I grew that from that little thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you think of a gum tree seed. Yeah, tiny little seed. Yeah. yeah, like mm. a poppy seed, mm. even smaller than a poppy seed. Yeah. And yet they grow into these enormous that is, that always, that always, things. It always blows my mind that a that a mountain ash, which is an enormous tree, yeah. can come from a seed that is this that's like dust. Yeah, yeah. like dust. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It is extraordinary. A wonderful thing. And yeah. eucalypts are really easy to grow as well. I mean, and as you say, there's lots of data mm. on the web. If you Type in how would I grow mm. a gum tree? You know, from seed, there will be so much mm. stuff there, videos and, and so there's on. A lot and of, you there's can a do lot of it. books as well. Diggers books in regards to food growing, but there's mm. a lot of propagation books for growing natives from seed mm. and and any other plants as well. Like there's photos, drawings, and all that as mm. well as written and, information. And just, there's so just much good YouTube um, yep. um, videos. I mean, this some aren't so good. You've got to be a bit. Get a bit discerning. Yes. But there is lots of material out there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We are here till 9.15. Give us a call on 94190155 if you want to ask us a question or make a comment. The text line number is 0488 809 I'm Chloe Foster and I have Evan Golke and Tim Sansom in the studio with me this morning. Now, guys, I don't know whether you've noticed on the bench a big rock. Oh, you brought a rock I did in. notice a huge <laughs> rock when I walked in. I hadn't seen it, um, but that's a lovely rock you've brought in. Thank you. It probably weighs about 15 kilos. It hasn't grown much in the time. <laughs> yeah. It's a slow grower. I came You're home. starting a rock garden? I am starting a rock garden. This is well, something... You stole that out of the laneway, the side <laughs> yeah, here, did you, on the way in? It's your first... <laughs> You're appalling. I have a thing about collecting big rocks. I came home from grade six camp with like a massive rock, granite rock from Mount Martha. And mum goes, what have you got in your suitcase? Rocks. I was like, yeah, I have. Yes, pet rocks. <laughs> so I've done it again. I've recently gotten hold of a large, uh, well, yeah, be a ton's worth of um, bluestone basalt rocks to put into my garden out in the backyard. So there's a very small patch of grass, probably three metres by three metres or three by four or something. And I put in a couple of raised veggie beds 
and, and dug, dug up a bit of the lawn and put in these raised veggie beds. But they're over the other side up against the fence and there's just – I've been looking at it and there's just a bit of disconnect between where the veggie beds are, random, you know, lawn in front and then steps leading onto the lawn. And I thought, oh, I'll try to get hold of some pavers to, you know, have some little stepping stones out to the veggie patch and then next to it is the washing line as well. Uh, my One of my friends has recently sold their parents' house and his father built – a probably 10 metre long bluestone wall in their backyard, part of the um, property boundary line 50 years ago or whatever, and it's had these bluestones lying around. Oh, these were the spares? These are the spares. I've already – probably about 10 years ago, Mum and I did a project in her garden of extending the garden bed and we used their their spares for the edging for the garden there. I I really have a thing for bluestone. (laughs) And there was a few more left – so before the house settled, <laughs> I went over and grabbed some more. So now I'm digging these giant holes in my lawn to drop the um, blue stones into. And I'm just going to create from the steps through the lawn over to the washing line and the raised beds some blue stone steppers, mm, which beautiful. I'm so excited about. And I'm going to have absolutely ripped muscles by the end of it because they are <laughs> heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bought in the smallest one today just to generate conversation. <laughs> but, man, it was an effort to get in. <laughs> well, I think it's really smart using, you know, products that have been used before. Yeah. Mm. So this is this is obviously out of an old laneway or something yeah. because it's got that flattened surface and, and, and so on. Which were iconic Melbourne laneways. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's so Melbourne. And, mm. I mean, I... The history, sort of the geological history of Melbourne and Victoria, I really love. Like our volcanic plains, mm, like mm. our volcan- volcanoes aren't extinct. Like the cl- a lot of them are classified as dormant. Mm. They could still go off. <laughs> and, they, and they could make new bluestones. Yes. <laughs> and Melbourne has such a, a yeah, a historical, you know, relationship with bluestone. Yeah, the laneways mm, and, mm. Um, you know, is used on the sides of roads and to build houses and, and it is such a, you know, popular landscaping material. But these big old blocks, mm. yeah. You know, I love driving down the Eastern Freeway and just mm. before you get to Hoddle Street, you see you, you go over the Yarra and then there's that massive mm. volcanic basalt cutting that you drive through. I just, mm. I love it. Mm. And now mm. they're going to be in my garden, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> it, basalt's just a really wonderful stone because it's quite mm. soft. Like it's quite easy to, to manipulate mm. and change its shape and so on. Uh, it's not particularly hard. It's quite easy to drill because well, it's quite consistent. I think that's, yeah. that's that, mm. particularly Melbourne basalt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just looking at Chloe's block there, <laughs> it, there's no like big crystalline structure or anything. There's no mm. faults in it. That's mm. why it's cuttable and, and yep. stonemasons must have must have loved it. Yeah, well, we yeah. can see that in, in Melbourne's yeah, construction. It's everywhere. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's 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 a wonderful stone. We we mm. uh, often get it get big boulders sawn. And, oh, and use them as that. tables. Mm. Oh, so, gorgeous. you know, great, great if you want to draw with chalk mm-hmm. on, yeah, yeah, okay. on it. It's you a know. blackboard already. Yeah, it's a blackboard. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Easily washed off. Um, but you can, yeah, you can draw on them. So they're great. You can make little picnic sets. We have, have a design now that we have little picnic sets for small children. So you have a large one in the middle and, you know, six little ones around the outside with sawn tops. And it's just, you know, it's better than buying a concrete. Mm. You know, mushroom type of thing, you know, mm. when you can use something that's natural mm. and, uh, you know, it's going to be there forever. 
Yeah. Do you have to worry when you cut edges like that? Do you have to worry about sharp? Yeah, you smooth off just, the edges. Yeah. Smooth mm. off the edges and and that's the beauty of it. As you said, it's very um, consistent through mm. so you can smooth off the edges mm. um, and use them in that way. But, yeah, but using recycled stuff, I mean, you know, that would have been cut out of the quarry 100 years ago. Yeah. And yet now it's moving over into your garden. Yeah. It'll be there for, you know, it might be in that site for 100 years and then somebody else will, oh, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine 100 years yeah. and we're getting excited. Yeah, that's right. New wall there. I should etch my initials into them yeah, or something. Yeah, you should. That's right. Yeah, chip them in. <laughs> yeah. It's an heirloom rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. It is. You know, but using recycled materials, like I've got quite a few retaining walls in, in our place that when I was, um, you know, doing a lot of residential design, um, I just worded up landscapers and mm. said, you know, if you're ever pulling up a driveway of bricks or whatever, you know, you, you can dump it at my place. And mm. so I had truckloads of stuff dumped. And so all of the, the walls and so on built in my garden are all built from old bricks. I didn't yeah. even clean them. Mm. Yeah. I just mortared them together and then rendered the whole mm. thing, you know, in a rough render. So, you know, it, it costs nothing mm. and it's it's recycling. You're not, you know, you're not having to rely on a newly produced product, which is better for the environment. Yeah. And there is so much of this material mm. around. It it is everywhere. Mm. If you look on Facebook or oh, anywhere, yeah. you can go and pick up all sorts of mm. stuff. You know, whether it be timber or you know, timber is fascinating mm. because you can get really old, grey-looking timber. You run a planer over it, mm. it's like new. Yeah. yeah. Yet it's straight. <laughs> yeah. But also, it's in, and in a garden, I mean, there's something about, and, and I did the same with my place, actually. The, all the brick walls that I've got in my, retaining walls in my backyard were actually laid as pavers in this horrible mm. setup that when I got there around a crappy shed. So I put all that out and, and, and didn't buy a single brick. Yep. And finished my walls with about six bricks left. I was very happy. <laughs> um, Coast careful, Clay, where you're coming. Get <laughs> yeah, 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 I've got yeah. six bricks for I you. I know yeah. where you live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, but, what what recycled material creates is a sense that it's not sparkling new, a garden mm. that's already got some history to it, and that's mm. already feels a little bit earthen. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really nice thing, like because if you, if you start with all sparkling new materials, everything's shiny. Like garden doesn't feel hasn't doesn't garden wants to me wants to have warmth and wants mm. to have some some lived experience, yep. and, you, and you can achieve that with recycled material. I imagine the character you get out of some of that timber must be gorgeous. Amazing, yeah. yeah. Mm. That, that, what you say is completely right. You know, the, the sort of new, shiny landscape, home and so on, it doesn't age well. Mm. Whereas mm. something that's built from old materials or, already does age much better because I guess there's not that expectation that it needs to look sparkling. Mm. And so if it's got black water lines running down it, it doesn't matter. Whereas if you've got a, you know, a, a lovely, you know, warm grey retaining wall. <laughs> and it starts to get a stain on it. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. right. Oh, my God. Help me. Oh, that, that plant has left little footprints yeah. on it, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that having that relaxed garden really does make a beautiful yeah. garden yeah. and a beautiful space. Well, I think, I, and I, not, I don't do garden design work, but, I can imagine if I did, what I'd be trying to create was an established garden feel. I'd want mm. it to feel like it existed for a while. Yeah. The new yeah. look would annoy me because <laughs> I'd want I'd want to come back in 12 months when the plants have grown and it's sort of developed some character. So starting mm. with recycled materials, I would imagine, helps that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, you're listening to the 3CR Garden Show. We are here for a little bit longer. Uh, and a couple of text messages have come in, which we must get to. And just a reminder that the Heritage Fruit Society Grafting Days and Scion Sales are 
on the 6th of August at Petty's Orchard and the 5th of August at Ceres in Brunswick. So that might help John from Footscray if you're trying to get hold of some of this material. Uh, Text message from listener Jilly. Uh, They accidentally pulled the whole head off their clivia when weeding in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) Weeding in the dark. Yeah, I love this. Do you think the roots will be able to grow new leaves or is it done and dusted? Oh, it's going to charge back. Yeah, no 100%. problem at all. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Don't I, worry I am about questioning it. why you're weeding in the dark, but, you know. No, you know. no, that's good. That's efficiency. I like that. Yeah. Lengthening the day. I used to do that in our first house. I'd be out, you know, laying pavers with a head torch yeah. or digging holes. Yeah. All yeah. right. Nocturnal gardening. There's another gardening. <laughs> yeah, zone. why not? I mean, what else are you going to do? Look yeah. at a screen, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Clivias are tough as old boots. I mean, you can actually dig them them up and chuck them to the side and, you know, three weeks later, think, oh, crikey, I better stick that in the ground and it'll grow. No problem. Uh, Yeah, wonderful. We've we've done a garden project for a student, a couple of student subjects this semester, and there was some clivias in the garden that we were completely clearing everything out and starting fresh. And there were clivias in there and we – the students were sort of like a little bit shell-shocked when I did it first, but I just shoved the shovel into the ground and ripped it out, took it 10 metres away into another garden bed, dug a, like the roughest hole ever and chucked it in, and they're still – that was a few months ago. <laughs> or six months ago and they're surviving. Yeah. Like you, you really can't kill them. No, you can't. No. 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 You'll be fine, Jilly. Don't worry. Uh, we've just had a $10 donation for Radiothon from a listener. Thank you so, so much. Um, and a reminder that next week's show is the Gardening Show's Radiothon episode. We'll be going from 7.30 until 10 a.m. We've got so many books available for you of all different kinds of gardening topics. Products, again, so Sea Soul, Power Feed, um, and a whole heap of other some diggers memberships. I uh, think the we've got. diggers have you guys have donated, so thank you very much. And so many um, of our panelists have donated either product or their time to a number of different um, things for for Radiothon next week. So please tune in um, and just play along with us. It's a wild ride. Um, yeah, so seven thirty and running through until ten o'clock next week with all of our products. Um, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we usually have will be available again. Um, including the I never know how to pronounce it fud or food compost, which is a really the, the FUD FUD with the little doodad fud fud. It sounds better, doesn't it? <laughs> fud compost. Um, we've ha- I think we'll have about twenty bags or so of that available. So I often get all my gardening products for the year or two years at, at Radiothon each year. So um, and it you know it all goes all the money like hundred percent of the money goes to supporting the station. They've already raised about $100,000 already. The target is $275,000. So they're going to go pretty close. Um, and we've got we've got a big target to hit too. I think it's about 13500 for our Radiothon, mm. which we usually go pretty close to it. So and Radiothon runs the bell. all of June, right to the end of June? All of June, yep. yep. And each of the shows have their own little mm. um, particular fundraising episode. So um, they'll be coming in after us just this morning for another Radiothon show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Radiothon next week for the gardening show. Please tune in um, and please give us all your money. 
<laughs> all your money. <laughs> all your money. Um, yeah, there's heaps of stuff available that you can get and, and donate to the show. All right, we've still got a little bit of time left. If you want to give us a call, the number is 94190155. I have Tim Sansom and Evan Golke in the studio with me this morning. Can I show you a picture of our broccoli? Please. So um, so I'm just showing them a picture. Taken at took, night. That I took last <laughs> night. Yeah, that, well, because, this is, because this is when you do it. Yeah. So um, yeah, okay. this was Sonia's idea. Um, the rats have been getting into our broccoli. So, so, yeah, what's the white? Is that it's, shiny? It's foil. Ah, <gasps> oh, I was thinking. It's foil. So, okay. And it has worked. Up. So I just want to let everybody know that this has worked. Wow. Um, so at night. Uh, we just go down there and just put a bit of foil. So what was what was happening before the foil? They the rats, rats. were eating the broccoli heads. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, and you can yep. see the little teeth marks yep. in it. And uh, so Sonia thought, oh, what are we going to do? Because we lost a whole lot last year as mm. well. So she came up with the idea of putting foil over the top of them. And so we just leave the foil there in a bucket, and then go down at night or you know just after dark, and just crunch it over the heads mm-hmm. and then in the morning just go down and chuck it off and put it in the bucket and it's working. That's <laughs> it seems ridiculous. So I dedicated. <laughs> but if you yeah. spend all that time growing, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you, you don't want to lose yeah. it. It's so frustrating. So um, so this is a new thing. So um, I think next year it'll be the like in summer it'll be corn. Because okay. last year we lost all our corn to mice. Oh. Yeah. Um, and so I think wrapping them with a bit of foil, it does the trick. <laughs> Space age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it looks really weird. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to put a fo- that photo up on the, on the Instagram. Yeah. But it works. And I know I know you're a, you're a rat fancier, aren't you, uh, Chloe? You hate them. Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. And... Um, you know, in, you know, you, it's very difficult to control them, and we certainly um, catch them in there. Um, but you know, you can't really use poisons. Mm. It's very difficult. Catching them seems to be the best way. And I know it's horrible, but we drown them, mm. uh, and then they go out, and the birds pick them up. Mm. Um, which is, which is, I know it's awful, and I say sorry every time, but um, they. They uh, otherwise you're poisoning them. You're still killing them yourself. Yeah, mm. it's just you're not seeing the action. It's not direct. We're, so it's the same. Talking thing. about poisoning them, we um, a few months back now in one of our um, magazines, we we got BirdLife Australia to write us a piece around the there's various rat poisons out mm. there, mm. and some of them are quite toxic to predator um, wildlife, the, the apex predators like hawks and mm. and um, falcons and owls. Um, but there are, and, and they, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's on our website and you can trawl back to the magazine, but there are products that don't do that. I think mm. they, their mechanism for killing the rat is not accumulated in the, in the rat itself. So there are less toxic ways of there doing are. that. We've tried those. So there is a, a natural one that sort of accumulates in the gut, but mm. they've got to eat a lot of it and over a regular mm. period of time. So we haven't and found that the one broccoli. success. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The broccoli is so much better. It's really good for and, liver function, by the way, so yeah. they know it. <laughs> and it's the second generation ones that are that are no good. I know I've heard yeah. Penny Woodward in here before yeah. saying that the warfarin-based ones, although are not great, they in the studies there was a big study done in Western Australia on, mm. on owls and the, the ones that they found had all these second-generation mm. um uh, poison in them. There weren't many with warfarin. So I think um, 
if if you're really desperate to use a ratsacky type thing, mm. look for one that has warfarin. Mm. Mm. And uh, you know, again, it is a blood thinner, so yeah. it's it's but again does, not a great thing. But yeah, yeah, it, it I, perhaps it's not as persistent. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know BirdLife Australia have got some really good info on this because they wrote this piece for us. Mm. So if you're looking for the detail of which one, there was a, there was a table of recommendations from BirdLife Australia on which ones were the 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 non-accumulators, non the non-second yeah. generation. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we've tried all sorts of things, yeah. Yeah. including those things that yeah. you know that have the batch, oh, the, 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 the little, pulse, the, um, it's the a, hammer thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the hydraulic. It, it, it's it's a little. Um, it's a New Zealand product, and it uh, they put their head up into grab some tucker that's in there, and there's a little CO two canister that it triggers a little bolt. That goes oh, really? bang and mm. smacks them in the head. So they get a nang. Yeah, yeah. And and it, look, it works, but it just doesn't work enough. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. AB the, the, has had some success with that one. Right. Yeah, yeah. I've had some success. So they're lured to that. Yeah. They're lured to the food that's yeah, up in. And then the, they get a. They get a bolt through the head. Right. Yeah. Mm. So it's an instant kill, which yeah. humanely, you know, it's really good. Right. But we've just we've had some success, but. Mm. It, just not enough to save mm. the broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> but foil. Foil works. Foil. Good on you. Yeah, foil like, their plan. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Good one. Sorry, Good on you for joke. trying something very different and persisting in, in you know, doing something in a different way, like. Well done. Thank I hope you. your broccolis will taste so yeah, darn oh, good. So we all this week. So good. Yeah. <laughs> and look, it keeps the, it keeps those uh, little slimy slugs off them at night as well. Oh, it's, it's, so it's a win-win. It's a win. It's a win. It's, it's, it's taking off. <laughs> all right. A couple of text messages are now flying in. A listener called R, and I know who you are, has uh, texted in saying, "Fud or food is pronounced like good." So, oh, okay. Food. All right. Food. Food. Uh, and the name of the bush chili, could you mention it that you were talking about? Oh, Evan? Manzano. Manzano. Mm. Uh, listener Paul from the Inner North is messaging asking about pruning back an apple tree. Paul, we're running out of time and I'd like to cover it properly. If you could message in in two weeks' time for the team, that would be, you'll get way more information and less rush. So if you could text us in again next time or send us an email so we can get to it in another show and we can cover it properly. Um, Vicky from Notting Hill, does anyone know where to find a list of nurseries in Melbourne and the Mornington Peninsula? We're out and about and would love to visit a new nursery. Um, off the top of your head, guys, there's Ozplant Nursery down this is a retail nursery, is your way. Oh, come to Heronswood. Yeah, go to yeah, Heronswood. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't Karanga know about sun, Sundays on the peninsula. I, I know Conservation Collective is a fabulous oh, Indigenous nursery, but I don't know through the winter if they're open mm. this time. Uh, at this time, yeah. but they're really good. There's also that um, there's there's Merrick's Nursery, yeah. uh, which won't be open on a Sunday. But then there's also the Drought one at Shoreham, the drought plant. So uh, it's quite uh, a range. Nobby's view. Nobby's view. Yeah. Nobby's yeah. view. They they they'd be probably open. Yeah, and He's they got they great have range dis- of display mm. gardens and there as well. Spectacular spot too. Yeah, yeah. It, it lives up to its name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'd they'd be worthwhile. Yeah. Mm. All right, and just finally, uh, Jill from Brighton says she's she'll be donating next week. So just a reminder that the gardening show Radiothon is next Sunday morning from seven thirty till ten o'clock. 
Uh, someone's already after the Diggers membership, and yes, that will be on offer yeah, next week, but you'll quick. have to get in yeah. quick next week <laughs> at 7.30. Give us a call. So we've come to the end of another show. Stay tuned to 3CR. There's some more Radiothon fun uh, coming up next. So we need to clear the studio. Thank you both for your time this morning. Good chats. Thank you very much. It's been good fun. It has been good fun. Thank you to Di and Susie for producing and keeping us online and in line. And to Liz, who does our socials, we do very much appreciate it. So have a lovely Sunday and we'll see you again next Sunday morning for Radiothon. Have a lovely day. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Listener.